Dublin's Talking Sport. Welcome to Dublin's Talking Sports podcast with me, Ken Doherty, and my good friend, Reggie Corrigan. Thanks for tuning in to catch up on the latest GAA, football, rugby, and all the crack. Enjoy the show, and don't forget, rate and review wherever you get your podcasts. Morning, Reg. How are you? Ah, uh, I'm you? excited, Ken. I have to say, I'm excited. I'm really looking forward to today. Going along to the match later on, and um, yeah, I have to say, uh, talking to a lot of people, it's not a lot of ir- nervous Irish people. We just don't wear the old favourites tag well, do we? Oh no! Well, you said that last week, did you? About the, Scot- about the Scotland game as well. But uh, now I think, I think Ireland, uh, I think they're going to be, they're going to be champions today. There's no doubt about that. I think England aren't in a great place. Ireland are flying. And yeah, there's always a little bit of sort of nervousness, isn't there? Uh, and being the favourites, of course, but, uh, they're just playing so well, so confidently. I, I've no fears for them at all today, to be honest. So I'm really looking forward. I got I blacked a few tickets as well myself. So ah, great stuff! I'll be catching up with you somewhere. So along the way, I'll drop you a text later on. Yeah, yeah. It's unbelievable. How how do you do these things? Getting these tickets, you know, it's you swear you achieved something back in the past. <laughs> Oh, I'm very, I'm confident, but I mean, yeah. it's a, it, like I said to you last week, and like I've been saying to everybody, it doesn't sit well with Irish people feeling confident or f- being favourites or thinking, you know, outside, above our station, as they say. Don't be yeah. getting above your station, no, but no, no. you can't think any other way about this Irish team because we're number one in the world for a sustained period of time. We're beating all the best of them. I kind of uh, bring it back to my own days of playing, Ken. The way I look at it is, yeah. in those days, you had the likes of New Zealand, Australia, South Africa, England, France. They were real powerhouses. And they um, were teams that when you played against them, you knew you had to overcome two things. First, you had to do everything brilliantly yourself to win. But also you had to overcome the fact that they felt uh, almost, it was almost like an arrogance that they would have had those teams that you're just not good enough to beat us. And it doesn't matter, you might get ahead of us and you might get a couple of scores ahead of us or you might whatever, but we'll eventually rein you back in, we'll wear you down and we'll win the game. And the All Blacks did that for years against every team they played against, not just against Ireland. And, you know, I was thinking about the way in the car, we've sort of taken over that mantle. Yeah. You know? The shoe's on the other foot now. And we're sort of, you know, playing with full of confidence with some great victories uh, behind us. And that, that's, a, that's a major thing in any sport is the confidence, isn't it? Hmm. Absolutely. Well, I mean, to get that confidence, I suppose, you've got to have the players and the squad and the people that are in the right place to uh, guide that team. And and that certainly seems to be the situation. And, uh, you know, it's funny. I don't know what you think, but I've been listening a lot to the commentary as well about Andy Farrell Mm. and the brilliant coaching job that he's done and the brilliant coaching team that he's brought in. And uh, it, it, that's it, it's all true and it's all fact and, and there's no doubt it's clicking right now. But I think some people are maybe forgetting a, a little bit the groundwork that was done there by Joe Schmidt back Joe in the day. Yeah, like he brought it to a certain point and okay, by the end there was a lot of talk that maybe players had had enough of the system it was a, bit, a little bit too disciplinarian. Mm-hmm. But there's no doubt about it. He brought skill levels and work levels by players and yeah. all of the coaching staff and management up to a level that it probably hadn't gotten to before, if we're honest. Yeah. yeah. No, I think you're that right. Yeah, he laid the foundations, didn't he? And uh, without a doubt. But I think Andy Farrow's done a wonderful job in his squad as well. Like, you know, the way they brought it to, I think, the next level, uh, the next level that they have to be and uh, to go, you know, to win this Grand Slam hopefully today and then on to the, on to the World Cup as well. There'll be... Uh, 
carrying a lot of weight and a lot of confidence going into the World Cup, no doubt. You know, but England will uh, be here to spoil the party. There's no doubt about that. You know, they will. Uh, and if anything, that will give them inspiration to try and stop Ireland winning the Grand Slam and a triple crown, of course, as well. Yeah, well, let's see. That's the thing. You would have been uh, hearing some whispers maybe over on the other side of the Irish Sea during the week as well. Um, it's uh, it's kind of for, like what happened last week for England getting a trouncing like that always makes it hard for us because we're yeah. at the receiving end of their backlash let's say this week now that's I'm still confident that we can handle all of that and bat it away and certainly looking at the English team that we have we, maybe they're looking at a bit of damage limitation then rather than um, thinking of even winning the game but it's uh, it doesn't sit well with English rugby fans that they've fallen so far so quickly. Yeah, so yeah, the yeah. pressure is on this team to put in a performance because they haven't done it throughout the whole Six Nations. No. And the question cool. is, have they had time to turn it around, enough enough time to turn around and, and put in a performance like that? Yeah, well, maybe, yeah. But they'll be, they'll be up against the, you know, the, the, the crowd as well. The, Aviva, which should, the atmosphere, I mean, it should be electric. Absolutely. Man, it'll it'll be out of this world. It really will. I think Ireland will be fine. I think they'll be alright yeah I think so too what about Cheltenham it was a big week for oh, that too some fantastic like, racing oh great racing I think the I think the story of the week had to be Honeysuckle though wasn't it yeah you know, for, for the, the Bromheads uh, for the family and and of course the race with Blackmore as well what a ride as well fantastic to finish you know and great victory what a great horse what a brilliant horse Honeysuckle is Absolutely, absolutely. I know it was, it was a very emotional week all around. It seemed, yeah. you know, there was lots of different things that happened. Paul Townend as well had an unbelievable win yeah. in um, Galpin des Champs yesterday in the Gold Cup as well. Yeah. And uh, you know, there was a lot of things happening all week. But yeah. uh, certainly the Rachel Blackmore yeah. story, fairy tale. Yeah. I mean, and yeah. the emotion when I saw her getting interviewed afterwards, like she was welling up and everything that's <laughs> happened into the Brownhead family yeah. and all that kind of stuff uh, with Jack and it's. Um, yeah. It was, uh, yeah, it was. A, I thought it was a fantastic festival. I really did, but I thought it was a very emotional festival in many ways. Yeah, it was fantastic. I think another great story was that Sora de Berlay as well winning. Uh, you know, a thirty-three to one. What a great, a great win for that great horse who's been so successful over the years and still producing it. You know, so that was a that was a wonderful victory. But yeah, the honeysuckle one, I think, stands out without a doubt. You know, great week all round, great race, and uh, a wonderful time in the calendar, in the sporting calendar for those four days at Champions. Uh, 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 the, the amount of people there as well that the crowds yeah. were there must have been record levels again the crowds every time the camera panned towards the stands it was no, shocker incredible yeah absolutely incredible I don't know it was 40, 50,000 or something like that each day for you know yeah uh, it's just a great great festival absolutely how did you do uh, what did I do? I had uh, one eight to one winner. I didn't. I didn't do much back in there, to be honest with you. No. The eight to one winner. I can't even remember the name, but it was a, a, a pin in the paper. I had three WhatsApp groups that were going around. What lads uh, getting tips? There was tips coming from the left, the right, and and, and, and from the bottom. I hadn't a clue where I was. So in the end, I stuck a pin in the paper and I got an eight to one winner out of that. I had about three other bets. Uh, I think maybe four. Uh, they were each ways, and I had two uh, two of them placed. That was it. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. I came out on top, but I wasn't well, doing much now, to be honest. One of my friends, Johnny, we were over for a wedding, you know, this weekend. Yeah. And one of the horses was good time, Johnny, in the race. I says, oh, oh yeah. Like this, Johnny, you know. So we had a tenner each way, and I, well, you swear we had a thousand quid each way. We were roaring at the television, and she's going on the. On tours, it was fantastic. 
That's the difference, I think, with Cheltenham, and that's what I love about it. It isn't actually about the, the betting. It doesn't really no. matter, the betting. It's uh, entirely around the fact okay. that these horses are so good. They're all trying so hard. Uh, and, you know, you can you can scream them up the last because they're, they really are pushing for it. They really do want the win. Yeah, yeah, of course, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's great to get a winner, you know, whether it be whatever it's so small it be or how big it be, it's just great to get a winner. Grateful, grateful. Absolutely. Let's talk Manchester United. Uh, yeah, or Arsenal, if you like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, look, I mean, he got the result against Betis. It was a bit, um, it was a bit of a while getting there, and probably you felt they yeah. would beat them by more after the first result. But it was a result. It's got a yeah, job it done. Result. Yeah, great goal as well by Rashford. Uh, yeah, what a, a great goal! Game. Good, good side at Real Betis, and uh, you know, it was a really good first half. Uh, but great goal by Rashford to break the deadlock and that sort of broke the back end of confidence and stuff like that, you know. But, uh, yeah. yeah, Arsenal fans would be very, very disappointed, you know, because they sort of, but for that wonder goal, you know, they would have been in the in the draw for the quarterfinals as well. So that would be a little bit disappointing. Uh, I've only ourselves to blame, I think, you know. Yeah. We should have had that game put away and put to bed before it got anywhere near penalties. I knew when it went to penalties we were in trouble. I just knew. Yeah. You could tell looking at them, they were nervous stepping up to it. But yeah. it was a wonderful goal, I have to accept that. Yeah, amazing goal. I mean, great skill, great technique, yeah, great vision as well. You know, it's not often you see a keeper, and that Ramsdale is a good keeper. But it's not often you see him uh, get caught, or any keeper get caught like that. But you have to have a lot of skill, a lot of confidence, and, and the technique was just sublime. You know, without a shadow of a doubt, brilliant. Yeah, it really was, it really was indeed. Okay, yeah. so where are you going pre-match? Yeah, uh, don't know, don't know. We'll, we'll Text me. Renlet, anyway, somewhere. And, uh, but I'm looking forward I'm taking my son and my nephew and my pal Johnny so the four of us are going together so two young lads uh, but yeah looking forward to it you know the atmosphere as well these are great moments in time uh, Reg you know to enjoy it and stay with them Really interested to talk to our next guest. Looking forward to it. I'm joined on the line now by former professional cyclist Nicholas Roach. Good morning Nicholas how are you? Good morning. How are you? I'm, I'm good, thank you. I'm very good indeed. Very good. Great to have you on um, to chat this morning. So thank you uh, for joining us on the show. Uh, look, I suppose, look, I'll delve straight into it because we're, we're talking about your career and other things that are going on at the moment. But uh, looking back on your career, it spanned a, a sort of a 17-year period from 2004 onwards. And by any standards, it seems to be an incredibly long time in professional sport and the wear and tear in the body. Um, it probably went by fairly quickly for you, though, uh, during the time. Oh, it definitely did. And, and you know, like, uh, especially now with all those social media that remind you about photos from the last years, it's like, oh, wow, I can't believe how fast this has gone. And um, when, you know, when you're, when you're a cyclist, you're always targeting the next race, which could be a couple of months ahead. So you hit the target, the next thing you're targeting another race, and, and the years just, just flow by so quickly. Yeah, absolutely. It's funny, I'm, I'm, I'm uh, watching the Drive to Survive series on uh, Netflix uh, with the Formula One and I'm, I'm struck by the fact that these guys are on the road so much uh, and, and a travelling circus almost. And cycling in many ways would be like that too. You guys are literally going around the world back in the day. Was that one of the hardest parts of it? Actually, no. I, I, was, always, uh, I was always excited to be on the road and, and still now uh, everyone's like, oh, you're not tired of travelling. And I mean, last year I was on the road about 300 days, which is a lot more than than when I was racing. When I was racing, I'd be around two fifty to two eighty days of traveling. Wow! And um, and this year is going to be roughly the same. I've been two months on the road now. I was in a, away in America 
um, racing again, but off-road. Yeah. And uh, I just got back on, on, on Thursday, and I'm here for a week, and I'm, I'm actually in Ireland next weekend for, for a charity ride, and then I kind of go back to America in, in April. Very good. And you mentioned, of course, cycling now. Um, you're involved in, in gravel racing. This is a new kind of trend of racing, isn't it? One that absolutely looks crazy to me, by the way. I find it hard enough to keep the bike up on the tarmac, but uh, gravel racing. Yeah, so I, I came up with that uh, this winter. Uh, I did a few events in, in Europe, and then I went to the States in October and fell in love with it. So I created my own little team. So there's Alexi, my brother, and a young French girl called Justine who's going to ride. Uh, they, they'll ride more more the European calendar, and I will go to basically where gravel kind of started in, in the US. That's kind of where the, the big scene is. There's a few events in Ireland that are starting, uh, and hopefully it, it's kind of one of the fasting kind of growing sports in, in cycling. So it's kind of a hybrid between a road bike and a mountain bike. It, it's super exciting. I was going to sort of say, say that to you. It sounds that, I mean, I know watching some of the mountain biking clips that you see, certainly the you mentioned uh, YouTube and Instagram and these uh, sites, you, you'll find some crazy uh, cyclist going around and ledge that's maybe 10 inches wide on the edge of a cliff with a 40,000 foot drop. It's just crazy stuff. Is, that, is it that level of extreme? No, uh, we do have what they call single tracks, so kind of that really narrow road. Yeah. Uh, mainly gravel are usually like agricultural land, so you'd find they're more like tractor lanes uh, and true forests. There's a few true mountains, uh, but they're usually usually kind of flatter terrain. But you have you know you have the whole river crossing, and you do get that kind of live um, smaller tracks as well but <laughs> luckily enough we don't go and do that crazy <laughs> stuff like the mountain bikers do yeah there uh, there's a little bit something I'll never forget being up in Jouse Woods walking the dog one day and going along one of the trails and a bike literally flew over my head from the left hand side uh, to the to the right hand side in the woods and uh, that uh, when I saw where this guy had to land that bike I just said um, no they're absolutely off their heads there's something seriously wrong with mountain bikers but uh, they, they, they taunt death, death. Um, but like you know you've been cycling so long and now you're still doing it in a different format and it's a, it must take a pretty serious toll on the body though it does but the great thing about uh, gravel racing is I could do it in my own time and I also you know I can do my own thing and then I don't have to send emails about my training or justify my diet so I'm, I'm really busy still working with uh, with Trinity Racing so uh, um, held, that's the team from my, my manager when I was a rider I give a hand with them with management and I go and do some some directing for them when I can. I also still work on, on TV. I'm doing the commentating for the Tour de France. Mm. And so I do a couple of other things. And the great thing about gravel is the level so far is, so it's not, it's a semi-professional, so you have professionals riding it. Yeah. But you, it's their mass star. So you, if you wanted to go and, and ride it tomorrow, you just have to sign up and, and you'd be just behind me on the start line, for example. So they're really open events. So the thing is, the 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 level is not as high as on the road or on, as professional mountain bikers, but road cyclists and road mountain bikers do come to these events because, like I said, they're they're open to everyone, so you don't need to be a professional to ride them. Yeah. Um, but the level is it, it's tough, but it's not as high. So you know, I, I dropped down my training from 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 twenty five thirty hours to about eighteen to twenty hours. So still quite a lot of training during the week. But but just uh, gives me also time to to work on a second part of my life because cycling is going to come to an end. At the moment, but I wasn't. I was tired of road racing, but I wasn't tired of being on my bike. Yes. So last year, when I was back on, back on, back on, when I came from Dancing with the Stars and started cycling again in in, uh, in the back roads of Nice, I was like, oh, I want to go on the bike again. Actually, I was just tired of, of racing. Now I've taken my break from racing, 
uh, on the road. I just kind of want to enjoy my bike. And then, like I said, I just said, oh, I'm going to try this thing. It looks pretty cool. Yeah. <laughs> and fell in love with it. I said, okay, I might commit to a couple of years of that. That sounds pretty fun. That tends to be the way, all right, that uh, people um, try something out for a bit of fun and then realise it is fun and stick with it. You mentioned life uh, uh, after cycling at the level that you were at. I know from being involved in professional sport, it can be quite tricky to find your way afterwards and know what your niche is. Um, Have you found that to be the case or have you slotted right into the punditry fairly straightforward? No, I totally agree with you. It, It was difficult and I think it is still difficult. And um, I think for me, Dancing with the Stars was a massive transition because yes. it was a real cut. And then I was able to think again. I was like, okay, what do I want to do? And I was like, ah, actually, you know what? I'm not too tired of cycling. I might come back into it. So I started working and helping out with Trinity on the mountain bike team. And that's how I got closer to being to the road. And then um, doing the TV work. And I'm and, and still in between. Like, I think, you know, the gravel racing kind of scratches an itch. Uh, and it's great because it, it gives me kind of way more time to think about what I'm doing next and trying more things Yeah. so I'm still kind of riding my bike I, I created a team and uh, traveling the world but again I'm trying a bit of sports directing I'm trying a little bit of management I'm trying a little fair bit of TV but I haven't made a call where am I going to go in the next two three years because uh, like I said the, the, I can't race gravel forever either yes. uh, this is great for a year or two but then can I, then I have to make a call on which one of the other two or three things that I'm doing uh, makes more sense and uh, you know Nicholas with with rugby for example former players quite often go back into coaching and uh, go down that path is there is there an avenue for not necessarily coaching but maybe team management and uh, with the big you know the big teams for the major tours is that an avenue you could pursue yes totally that that's way in uh, that's kind of I won't say target but it's up there in the things that I that I have in mind for the next couple of years uh, I do enjoy doing the commentating uh, more more than the the, the DSing actually, mm-hmm. and um, but the problem is there's, 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 it's a very there's a lot of TV commentators out there, so uh, it's very difficult to be a full time uh, commentator because it's not not enough work basically. Mm. So where when you're a sports director you and you're you're in the team there's there's a lot of work during the year, so it's just about trying to find a balance and. And at the moment, more than being with uh, with the big guys in the Tour de France, I'm, I'm really enjoying this transition with, with the smaller team, so with Trinity, which is a development team. Yeah. Uh, just because every time I go with them and I talk to them, they look at me with a, with big eyes and they're like a sponge. They just want to yes. know more and, and do stuff. And actually, when I'm at my training camp, I go on the bike with them mm. and I, it really breaks the ice and I'm able to have a better communication with them. And I think it's a big bonus for them and, and for me. Where if I went into one of these big teams and every time you want to give an advice, they say, I know, and they probably do. <laughs> yeah. So where these guys haven't made it yet, they're on the process of making it, and every help they 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 can get, they 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 want it and and they love it. So I feel I get a lot more personal satisfaction with helping these kids trying to be professional rather than already being with a professional and telling them just about tactical stuff. Yeah. Well, finally, Nicholas, before I let you go, uh, you mentioned Dancing with the Stars. You danced with Karen Byrne, who, of course, is dancing this season with my good friend Shane Byrne. Uh, she's a very patient woman. But tell the truth, dancing much harder than cycling, I can imagine. Oh, definitely, yeah, Shane. <laughs> <laughs> and I follow, I followed their progress uh, over over social media and on the, the the channels, and they did very well. Congrats to them. Yes, they did. They absolutely did. In general, uh, to finish, do you think cycling's in a good place? Certainly, I've never seen more bikes on the road. Is it in a good place in Ireland? Uh, I think so. Uh, obviously, the, the main issue worldwide is cars. Mm. Uh, and, and it's becoming... It's funny enough because there's more and more infrastructures. People are more and more on the bike. Everyone's more aware. Clothing has changed. Everyone's going 
with these high vis and wearing lights and wearing helmets. Mm-hmm. There's more and more accidents with uh, with cars or truck drivers, and that's a global thing, not just in Ireland. So, so safety is is a massive concern at the moment in in cycling, and I think this is why the off road scene is kicking up because you know parents want to put their kids on the bike, but but not on the road because it's just too 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 dangerous. So so it is in a really good place. Yeah. But, uh, but everyone's really concerned about about road safety. Absolutely, that's the way it should be. Okay, we're just out of time, but before I let you go, I know you played rugby in Blackrock College. You're a big fan of the sport. Uh, we got to win today. Uh we better. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's in it's in reach anyway. It is. There's no doubt and about. And I think the morale's down after the after. Well, I mean, on the English side, after what happened yes. last week with the French, so we might have the better one over that. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, well, Nicholas, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. Really enjoyed that. And good luck with the, the gravel team uh, and Trinity and everything else that you're doing and the commentary work. And no doubt we'll see you at management level at some stage in the future. Thanks very much. Take care, Nicholas. That's Nicholas Roach there, former uh, Irish professional cyclist. Fantastic uh, guy. Incredible career spanning 17 years. That's still going on. It's not over by any means. He's trying different things now. Uh, and Nicholas is with Sport and Doors, of course, who uh, organised that interview. So delighted um, that we had them on. And thanks to Sport and Doors, of course, which is a platform connects elite athletes and brands with opportunities globally the big one it's here at last the one we've all been looking forward to the grand uh, slam decider as Ireland take on England a little bit later on in the Aviva Stadium I'm delighted to be joined on the line now by Irish independent journalist David Kelly good morning Dave how are you morning Reggie ah yes what a day it's getting exciting and the weather looks okay out there at the moment I can't help it it's uh, it's really starting to build for me I have to say what about yourself um I would say possibly I'm mirroring the team. Uh, I, I don't have that giddy excitement. Um, maybe it's age and experience. Um, I feel a kind of sense of calm about it all, really, because I think the team has that composure um, and there isn't an, a sense of anxiety or tautness about them. I, I was recalling, actually, with uh, my good my good colleague and sometime rival, Jerry Thornley, about... Um, 2018, uh, we shared a taxi to Twickenham in the, in the snow, dodging the snowflakes. And um, we convinced ourselves by the end of the journey that Ireland would win that day. And there was a sense of, 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 of destiny about that day. But there was, there was more anxiety, I think, um, because there were a few younger players in that team who had had, had a, lot of, a lot of success uh, earlier in their careers. But... Uh, at international level, it was new for a lot of them. Um, 09 was was a was extraordinary, dramatic um, Grand Slam win. Um, that was that was excite that was exciting. That day, that build up, that week, um, obviously because there was a sense of history about it, a uh, new history, a novel history, because Ireland hadn't won a Grand Slam in the modern era. I, I, I think today is about, um, and not in a complacent way, but it's about. Uh, an expected delivery of uh, uh, a, a confident uh, accumulation of, of 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 five results, which have been um, achieved with 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 so much controlled certainty and calm assuredness, but also with such as we mentioned last week, joy and wonder. So um, I think the excitement possibly might come afterwards, but um, at, at the moment, it's it, I just have a sense, uh, and obviously I'm not involved. Um, but I just have a sense that, that uh, uh, a 
and it has to do with the appalling opposition as well. But I think I, I think I have a sense of just you know uh, calmness and uh, assuredness about. Uh, the result which I anticipate later. That's uh, something that's unusual for Irish people. Certainly, I said it to you last week, favourites tag doesn't sit well with us. All the WhatsApp groups I'm involved with, and they're throwing out the old uh, proviso with every message that goes out, you know, but if this and what if England and they're wounded and da 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 da. Uh, so I, I think it may be a measure of Andy Farrell maybe and his squad of coaching staff and the messages that they're putting out that they, they are putting out that air of calmness uh, around it even last week like you know I was very confident of, of a victory last week and I said that to you but if you had told me before the game that what unfold would unfold what ha- did unfold I would have run a, a thousand miles from Ireland winning that game no hookers uh, you know scrums with a uh, prop going into hooker I, I, everything that could go wrong did go wrong in, in, in many ways and yet they managed to make it look so easy to just go on and make the result. And, and, and it's almost, I felt it, like, you know, you ever see when a, a fish gets stunned in a pond or something? Like, that's the way that Scottish team were. Uh, they're just kind of going, what are these lads at? Where are they getting, where are they getting this from? And, and, and completely, you know, just stopped any bit of impetus that Scotland had. Yeah, the, the reverse should be true. I mean, you know, there were three, way, three ways a team can respond to extreme adversity and that, that would get out in the books as extreme adversity last week mm. you, you, you do become either stunned as a team or as an individual you know if it's a, you know, a sucker punch in a, in a, in a, in a, in a, a championship fight you, you just become stunned and cannot perform cannot compute either mentally or physically or you can use it as a ready made excuse which is, again is probably a, 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 a latter a former day a latter day uh, phenomenon but um, it, it, already compiling post-match excuses oh well the red card oh well this or the penalty wasn't given uh, in other codes that, 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 it, it's a comfort blanket now teams will, will continue to try and perform but there, there will be just something raining them back a sense of grievance a sense of the world is against us and this is a life lesson as well I was, I was mm. speaking to Robbie Henshaw about this as well I mean you can, you can, and he, he said you can bring it into you know his personal life and just in terms of how you deal with deal with adversity in life but but this team uh, and as, as as we all heard I mean they were they were literally laughing at us at half time and, and yeah. in the sense that you, you know it's, it's it's how do you react to an umbrella you know turning itself inside out in a, in a, in a storm I mean you just plow on through the storm as opposed to um, turning back mm. or feeling sorry for yourself or just standing in the rain I mean there's there, there are different ways to respond and, and Andy Farrell and the coaching team and the leadership group, have, uh, you know, responding to that um, overall culture, have 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 been able to do that. I mean, I, I was talking to a few English people last night. I mean, you were thinking, what else can be thrown at them? And obviously, in the current um, uh, regulations, a red card, early red card, is possible for. Um, it doesn't matter any player. There'd be one 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 man down early on. You, you can almost see them coping with that adversity and still possibly winning. Now, again, uh, I, I, I the opposition's uh, pallid health uh, in mind there as well. But, yeah. uh, you know, I, I don't think... Th- 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 there's, there's no more adversity that can be thrown at this group. Absolutely. Uh, I think, and the response to it 
um, is, is, is most impressive. I, I was struck during the week thinking back look, on, on the Six Nations so far and and the um, you know the course that this team and squad have travelled and and again I made reference to it when I was talking to Ken earlier on I think credit needs to go to Joe Schmidt for laying the foundations of all of this in the beginning and it came to a time then when the change was needed and as it turns out that change has been almost seamless is the word you'd have to say and uh, they seem to have stepped it up a level from that again but credit to Joe Schmidt I think there were some very very important foundations laid in the early days but I I suppose the thing that struck me most um, with this squad is I I remember back to my own playing days when you came up against New Zealand and Australia and England and France and South Africa the superpowers of the game you you were always as an opposition and and, and us being the underdogs in this situation um, uh, invariably you were always as an opposition in the back of your mind no matter how well you were doing even when at times even when we beat these teams and you know I didn't beat all of them I didn't beat the All Blacks but you know even when you beat these teams you were always afraid on the pitch we're always thinking they're going to come back they're, they're going to come back with more stuff here they're, they're not done they're not you know we have to keep but now that's been flipped on its head entirely all of those superpowers as I like to call them now have to, are, are fearing Ireland in that vein because this team just seemed to think yeah yeah throw something else okay we're going seven points grand ten points down okay we still have a plan around this yeah, it's like the great Kilkenny teams under Cody, you know, with the, 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 those striped jerseys and then the green jerseys. Are, they have that attitude of of being relentless, but but like also uh, like Kilkenny, where quick starters, fast starters, mm. they they start on the front foot, but they can finish at a relentless pace as well. And um, you know, their lows like rarely can a team in any sport completely dominate. Uh, uh, an entire game but even their lulls it's very hard to spot their lulls or when they take uh, because they're still trying to play um, they don't they don't kind of automatically take a, a kind of a 10 minute break so it, it is astonishing I mean you, you talk about the the progress and the Joe Smith thing is interesting yeah, I mean, he, he, he may become uh, New Zealand coach uh, after the World Cup we, we, we don't know yet but um like that 18 triumph and even the 09 triumph. And again, we were speaking about this you know, last night, having having rugby chats with, with colleagues ahead of the game. Um, like the 09 slam was obviously historic. Um, I still submit that the rugby was awful to watch. But rugby was pretty poor to watch back then. I mean, Munster um, won the Heineken Cup not playing beautiful rugby. Leinster's first European Cup was not beautiful rugby. The game was not very good back then. It wasn't very enjoyable to watch. But Declan Kidney had this alchemy which brought Munster and Leinster together. Uh, the success of those two teams in the early early, early part of the century, Munster more than Leinster, and brought them over the line, completing what Eddie O'Sullivan had done in constructing uh, a very good attacking game. And Eddie had built upon Warren Gatland's finally putting some character and soul into the chaotic early professional days, which you know so well. And then Joe Schmidt builds on that. And he reacts to a changing game by constructing that, you know, almost risk-free, error-free game with those wonderful power plays, which mm. the rest of the world copied. And, you know, sadly, Ireland didn't react in time ahead of the 19 World Cup. But the game has moved on again. This is... I, I, I'm i only a young man, as you know, Reggie. I do. Um, but this is... this This seems to me the most extraordinary uh, Six Nations... I've seen, or five nations I've seen, in terms of sustained, consistent quality across the board. 
despite the fact that one or two of the teams are underperforming. I, t- I, I, I think I, I think it's been uh, wonderfully entertaining. I, I couldn't agree with you more. Um, and it's so funny. The, so the, the, just to finish the point, that, yeah. the, the, the Andy Farrell has, has brought on the game again. He's opened up the game as the game has opened up, and now other teams are responding to that. Obviously, France are like France have changed their game. The France uh, six, five or six years ago were appalling to watch. And a lot of their friends, a lot of their club teams were as well. The game is always evolving, so uh, it is correct to pay tribute to those that went before because they were just responding to the game and to the sport and to the culture there was at the time. And, and, and okay, again, an argument: Will this be the greatest team ever? They've beat New Zealand in a series. They've clean sweep, swept autumn. They're number one in the world. They won a Grand Slam. In terms of accumulation, yes. But I, I always hate comparing eras because. You know, you can only exist in the time. In the time you're in, in. Yeah, yeah, I couldn't agree more. It doesn't work. It doesn't work, especially as you said, the game evolves from 2009 to 2023, 14 years. But it's, it's fun for people in bar stools and newspapers. But oh, yeah. I, I sometimes find it a bit in, in, insulting to those that have gone before. Yeah, I understand. I understand. Yeah, I, I won't take insult. <laughs> um, <laughs> well, uh, it's, let's let's look at the opposition today. Then, I mean, you're talking about evolving. They've gone the uh, the opposite direction of that. Uh, in my uh, Brexit analogy of last week that you laughed at, but uh, <laughs> or found amusing, should I say? Not laughed, I found amusing. I mean, they, that's the method of our, our, our pathway that English rugby seems to have gone down. And last week, uh, none more so. Last week's performance uh, offering more example of that uh, as they just completely capitulated against that French team. And France didn't have to do a whole lot, if I'm honest about it. Or looking back on the game, they didn't have to do a whole lot to to make the the, the white chariot uh, basically fall off the cliff. Uh, um, I, I just have to ask the question, what can England turn around in a week uh, or, uh, to, to, to make the result be different uh, later on today? Well, I know uh, spectacular insight. Again, like yourself, I can only uh, see what I saw. And um, I, I see Nick Easter yesterday. Um, really the worst, and you know this as a member of the, fun, uh, of the, the forward pack union, um, he, he said he was speaking <clears throat> to a couple of their French players uh, after the game last week, and they had they were shocked at the lack of physicality from England. Hmm. Um, and that's you know, and we know in terms of, of recent times again with Irish teams, even in those uh, extraordinary, you know, powerfully built, um, techni- technocratic uh, teams under Joe Smith, that that Ireland could be undone by the big beasts. But England and Saracens would have been big beasts. And that, that that managed to confound them, uh, and even in the early part of Andy Farrow's reign. But you know, for an English team to have a lack of physicality is quite shocking because that's the first thing you expect. Um, possibly not skill in all areas, but definitely physicality. But um, you know, Mario Toje's illness and, and decline in standards uh, has been quite sad to watch because I, 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 I thought this guy could be a world world great, and um, it's not happening. And you, you know, even behind the scrum, you see wonderful players like, like Henry Slade. I think is over fifty caps. He should be one of again one of the greatest ball players who, who could slot into any midfield in the world, France, uh, Ireland, or, or New Zealand. But you know, his game is just falling to pieces, uh, mostly under the previous regime with a lack of empathy and care. Um, they're messing around without half. I mean, Marcus Smith, how can you play uh, with a, with, a, with a beaten up pack? Um, I just think it's, he it's couldn't. Quite, he couldn't. You're right. I mean, no. I felt yeah. last week he was the scapegoat for a lot of things, and it kept going back to the Owen Farrell. Yeah. No, no, number there ten were, in the world could have played. Today, in, in in football parlance, they'll they'll uh, 
May it's supposed to be breezy and blustery, but it looks very calm. Mm. Uh, looking out my window here near the Phoenix Park, but it, it's it's uh, supposed to be um, breezy and blustery later on, and I expect um, bombs, bombs, bombs. But like that's sleep and drink to Hugo Keenan and the boys uh, uh, at the back. But I think they'll just park the bus, try and defend, and um, let Ireland make mistakes. But you know, Ireland are happy making mistakes because they try to play the game. Yeah. Um, so uh, that's all they can offer, I think. I don't think they have an attacking game and maybe an Arundel 80-yard counter-attack. I mean, literally, they're going to... It'll be Jose Mourinho rugby and, and and just hold their breath and maybe hope for a red card. Yeah, uh, I, uh, I, I think so too. I mean, um, it was said to me during the week that this selection from England had a damage limitation written all over it. That's the way it was put to me. Yes. And when you yes. look at it, it seems to be that case. Yeah, no, exactly, because they, they, they're not they're not prepared to do anything else. And in fairness, um, the, the shambolic reign of Eddie Jones has left him into this position of... of I mean, Kevin Sinfield, everyone, I, I did a profile of him yesterday, a remarkable human being, apart from a remarkable sportsman. But, he, like, he will become a very good defence coach. But he can't become a very good defence coach in four weeks yeah. uh, before a tournament. So, uh, like, uh, this is a team built for 2027, uh, a coaching team, uh, not many of this team would be around. I mean, there are some, uh, you know, they're, 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 uh, Jack Walk, for example, hmm. he w- he wouldn't make a provincial squad yeah. in Ireland. Yeah. You know, that, that, that's the kind of level. David Ribbons, I mean, there are a few um, players here, here that, that uh, coming across. I mean, this could be like 07, I think. It has shades of 07 for me, which is, and, and uh, as I said, I started the conversation saying calm assuredness, but this is all logic yeah. speaking. You know, in, in terms of logic, um, I think the spread is eighteen. But you know, I could, I could, I could see if Ireland have a fast start and score early, you know, they could get Obi for them. GA in the company of Sean Lane over the next few minutes here on the programme. We're going to start this week with ladies football and Dublin power their way past Donegal in their penultimate game of the 2023 Lido National Football League yesterday. Mick Bowen's charges recording a 2-13 to 6 point defeat of the Ulster ladies. Hannah Tyrrell of Nafina and Orla Nolan of Ballantyre St John's with the Blues goals as they recorded a fourth win of the campaign and Orla did was player of the match as well so congratulations to her they'll be very proud of her out in Ballantyre St John's this morning no doubt about that and uh, interesting news there from the ladies during the week of course was that Jennifer Dunn of Kula has become the latest player from the capital to sign up to go down to Australia and play in the women's AFL she'll be joining Brisbane Lions for a two year deal Joining the likes of uh, Sinead Goldrick in the past, uh, uh, Neve McAvoy, of course, of St. Sylvester's, and uh, Lauren McGee of Kilmacud Croaks, who had a spell down in Australia as well. The very best of luck to Jennifer in her endeavours. A fantastic player, lovely lady as well, and we wish her every success down there. They complete their programme next week, by the way, against Waterford at Parnell Park. To the men's game now and this afternoon's clash of Mead and Dublin across the county boundaries in Navan in round six of Division 2 in the Alliance National Football League. Desi Farrell's Blues are second in the table behind Derry, having won four of their five previous games. A sole loss, indeed, ahead of this afternoon's penultimate round game, which gets underway at three o'clock, was two weeks ago away to the aforementioned Foilsiders at Celtic Park. 
A win today over the Royals secures promotion back to Division 1 next season and a place in the league final in two weeks' time, which will be against Derry as well. So we extend our best wishes to Desi and the squad as they make the trip across the county boundary this afternoon. And the fans who will no doubt travel in great numbers as well. Safe travels to you all. Bank holiday weekend, so be careful on the roads more than you usually would be. We're going to turn our attention now to hurling. And the Capital Stick men completed their Division 1B League campaign, or they do complete their Division 1B League campaign rather, tomorrow against Leash when they come to county headquarters at Parnell Park for a 1.45pm start. Michal Dunhu's charges last Sunday fell to back-to-back defeats, going down to Kilkenny at Nolan Park, 2.25 to 1.17. Sean Lane, our regular hurling analyst, joins us in studio this morning to look back at that game, to look ahead to Leash and maybe a little bit further as well. Good morning, Sean. Happy St. Patrick's weekend to you. Good morning, Declan. How are you? Oh, very well indeed. So what would be wrong with you in a weekend like this? Grand Slam Saturday, the Dubs playing me. What more would you want? When you retire, Declan, every weekend is a bank holiday weekend. <laughs> oh, thanks, Sean. <laughs> I've got... Not too long, too, too long to go to that. I'm afraid to even contemplate it at at the moment. But uh, listen, let's uh, go back to last Sunday and our ill-fated trip to Kilkenny. As I said there earlier on, back-to-back defeats for the Blues in the league, having lost to Tipperary previously at at Croke Park. What uh, p- positives could you first of all take from the trip to the Marble City last week? Well, I suppose look, I wouldn't be privy to the psychological approach that they had. Uh, I mean, we can go into the positives, but there were certainly negatives. We we'll cover them as well. From a positive point of view, I, I think he's coming up with the the goalie. He's probably made up his mind with with Eddie Gibbons to be the first thing. Um, I I think that Paddy Smith being back, although he got the gate in the end, I, I thought it was harsh actually. But uh, I think he's a smashing cornerback, so that he's coming back in the fold. I think the positioning obviously of Owen O'Donnell and Conor Burke is is excellent as well. So that's going well. Uh, Donald Burke is playing out of his skin another huge positive we talked on the show Declan about not getting goals Paul Crummy got an excellent goal albeit late in the game but he got an excellent goal the last day and Keane Boland uh, and Keane O'Sullivan I think who got two goals against Waterford so there are a lot of positives um, there's, there's no doubt about that but uh, you know, you'd have to mention Declan the other side of it. I mean, uh, the, the approach the last day just seemed to be let's not give these goals early on, and like they were standing off mm-hmm. them and, and gave Kilkenny eight or nine points before we got going, and then the ultimate to compound the the the, the, the problem. We, we, we left own Cody of all the fellas in the park we left them loose late on in the game and he nabbed in two goals to you know it, it, it was a bad beat in Declan mm. let's call a spade a spade and it was the second consecutive one to the other superpower if you like in the group which is Tipperary a couple of weeks ago who have done really well this year them, themselves you and I have had conversations about many different positions on the Dublin team goalkeeper being one looks as if Eddie Gibbons from Crokes is, is um, lining up to be the number one goalkeeper this year but we, we've also discussed Danny Sutcliffe in the past and the best place to to play him in the team now on the team selected for Leash tomorrow he's uh, on the 40 at, at centre forward if you were Michal Dunhu would you play him there would you play him further in the field well, look at Danny Sutcliffe. I mean, he wasn't an all-star for nothing. Danny Sutcliffe's a smashing player. But sometimes, you know, can, can he last 70 minutes as a centre-forward? I'm not too sure. Uh, I And I think I said this on the show, Declan, earlier. Um, positioning Danny Sutcliffe at 14 and having two really fast guys and another fast guy on, on, on the bench to come in, I just think that he could cause absolute havoc there because he is a big ball winner. 
Um, you could also play him in the backs. I mean, I would always have said Danny Sutcliffe's two best positions was centre back and wing forward. Now I know you're probably laughing at me, but they would be what I would have thought yeah. was two. No, best not laughing. Positions. Just, just I, I couldn't picture him as a, as a centre back somehow. Well, I can tell you, we played him in a county 21A semi final, and he played centre back <laughs> for a lot of them and betters on his own. But uh, no, look at it, he's a special talent. But look at you know, I I think if Michal Donahue and and hopefully he's here for the three years. Um, you know, if you were to build a team and say, okay, well, I wanted Danny Sutcliffe not, not only to have him around this summer, but next summer and the one after that, uh, I, I think I'd be playing him at 14 mm. rather than 11 okay. because Danny will kill me for this, but I don't think there's three uh, years left in Danny's legs at a number 11. Now, that'd be the nicest way I could say that. He lost some of the best years of his life, of course, when he was playing football in New York a couple of years ago, but that's an argument and a discussion for, for another day. We're playing Leash tomorrow afternoon at Parnell Park. As I said earlier on, it's our final game in Division 1B for 2023. It's a very important game from a Dublin perspective, Sean. Our next game, competitive game, is the Championship on the 22nd of, of April against Antrim, I think it is. That's a month gap. We need to have a confidence booster going in to that and with all due respects we should be able to overcome Leash shouldn't we tomorrow we should and and uh, Willie Marr and um, the Leash manager will be very disappointed with with his um turnout for 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 the year so far i mean they're in the relegation so sometimes you, you know be careful what you wish for leash might decide tomorrow that do you know what we're in the relegation we've five or six niggly injuries I'm not going to play any of my good players tomorrow uh, and if he does well then Dublin might you know win ha- handsomely but get no uh, real uh, cut and trust game under their belt before because Dublin were poor Declan against uh, Tipperary they were very poor against Kilkenny they do, do knew then your question is 100% they need a boost they need a good performance but sometimes if the opposition isn't up for it and, and are saving themselves for a relegation playoff against Westmead and we've said this on the show Westmead have improved under Joe Fortune so mm. that's not a gimme from a leash point of view um, You know, so we need to be careful Joe Fortune of course a man who knows Dublin hurling very well after his stint with Ballyboat and St Enders now you, went, you mentioned Willie Marr there as well he's a man who knows a thing or two about Dublin hurling after his successful spell albeit one year at Kula as well yeah, that's absolutely, and and uh, and there'll be a piece in William, and and and, and uh, he won't want to lose the Dublin. He'll want to lift maybe before the the game. So he's probably looking for a really good performance out of the Leash contingent to say, right, okay, that's our kind of roundup game before we play the relegation. But from a Dublin point of view, we we need a really good performance here because Declan, if you and I know you were watching the Tipperary game, leave out the Kilkenny game. The Tipperary game in Crow Park was just a challenge game. There was lads throwing balls over the bar on both sides. I mean, Dublin scored twenty four points that night, and you know, the, you know, Tipperary didn't put a hand on them, and, and equally, Tip got I think two twenty three, and Dublin didn't put a hand on them either. So that's not really a, a game that you'd count. Just looking at the league in general, how things are shaping up now, coming down to the serious business end of it. The likes of Cork are setting down a serious marker so far in in this season's league. Who else has impressed you from the big guns? Well, definitely Cork on on, on that side. They've won the four games. Now, it has to be said, uh, on form, they beat Wexford last week, but only by a few points. And Wexford conceded 6.25 the week before, or two weeks before, to Clare. So you have to kind of put that in context uh, they struggled to beat Wexford, but they did beat Wexford, but they beat Limerick in a, in a smashing game. So Cork have definitely have, have, have stepped forward under Pat Ryan, there's no doubt about that. 
But I'm very impressed with Tipperary. Liam Cahill. Tipperary guys, when they're really playing well, they're getting goals. And, and, and they, there was a cracker of a game last weekend in Torles Declan, um, Waterford and, and, and Tipperary. And Davy was off to his tricks again. I think he invents stories sometimes and, and ends up believing themselves. And then he has to convince everybody. But uh, they were pointing fingers at one another after the match and all that. Yeah. But it was a great game till, till the Waterford guy got sent off. Tip got a couple of late goals. Some tremendous hurling there. So I, I think Tip and Cork could end up in the final. I think Ooh. the way it's going, great game the weekend now here. Kilkenny and, and Waterford, the winner that will play Cork in the semi-final and that'll be interesting. Only the River North separating them, of course. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It'll be interesting. All right. You can just sense the anticipation building up. Of course, the championship starting in April as well. I think a lot of people are still getting their head around that particular aspect that it's not maybe in May or even in June for certain teams starting. Very true. And, and you, you got the right. It is the 22nd of March, 22nd of April. We play away to um, uh, Antrim uh, on the day. Um, you, you, you've Galway and Wexford, and then you've Westmead and Kilkenny. So on the farm Declan for championship, we'll just cover it briefly. I mean, I couldn't see anything between Galway and Kilkenny meeting in the Leinster final. Now, as I said, I know Wexford did improve the performance the last day. There's no doubt about that. Um, but but uh, you know it's like last year. I think Dublin and Wexford will be playing for 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 second place. And I remember one thing that happened in the championship last year: Westmead drew with Wexford as well. So you know you never know what will come out of there. Early season predictions: Beware the Ides of March. Remember that one from do, Jack Charlton many years ago in, in another code. Um, finally, in hurling this week, Sean, we have to pay tribute to the great Eamon Dillon the man known as Tro- Trollier from Nafion Barra who announced his retirement from inter-county hurling last week after a long battle against injury I mean, what a character what a man what a, what a hurler and what great service to Dublin and of course he was part of that great year in 2013 as well 10 years ago can you believe it? Yeah 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 and when you talk about Trollier you, you have to talk about him at two levels um, from a club level and often managing teams against them and volunteer if you were down to play the bars, everybody in the dress room or at train say, will Trollier be playing? That was the first reaction in Ballantyre and across the, the county when you were playing him in a league game in particular. You'd always know he'd be there for the championship. Great, great service to Dublin. The yellow helmet, if he was left one-on-one at the, the, the end, he'd take on the back and many a great goal he, he scored. He, he won a Leinster under 21A um, against Wexford, uh, down in Wexford Park. He came on as a sub that night, made his way onto the uh, Dublin team the following year and uh, was part of the Anthony Daly team that won the, the 2013 Leinster Championship, coming on in the all Ireland semi-final against Cork. Uh, it gave tremendous service. Uh, I mean, you, you you definitely would throw him in with the Canis Herbies from your own club and the Patter Cartons and... Tomas Quinns and Vinnie Holdens I mean he, he's right in there with them gave great service and, and, and just behalf of, of Dublin supporters I'd like just wish him yeah. self and George and the kids the very Absolutely. very best of luck uh, you mentioned Canis Henry there I mean you couldn't leave uh, young um Brian McMahon out of it either could you well, if you're talking about great stars who was, well, an, who was our sole all-star way back true, when in true. 1990 well you Rush and you have Danny Sutcliffe and indeed of course, some great of course players, yeah. uh, the wanted to just um Finish up on the camogie scene. Dublin are away to Galway this weekend at Duggan Park. There's been a lot of change behind the scene and manager and that kind of thing over the last uh, number of months. They just unfortunately haven't got the results in the game and it doesn't get much tougher really, Sean, to have to go and face Galway in their own backyard this weekend. Yeah, Declan, look at it. There's something just isn't right. I mean, if you compare all the results this year and the camogie compared to last year, 
drawn with Tipperary in Parnell Park last year. I was at that with Emma, and and uh, we you know we, we we probably should have won it, but we drew it. And then you compared the results this year against them, the results against Kilkenny, the result three seventeen to five points uh, against Cork. I mean, they they weren't the stats or anywhere near the stats last year. So we have gone back. But I've every confidence that, that we'll get it right. There is a good structure in the Camogie system now. They've underage development squads working in different hubs. It will come right, but it'll take a time. But this is unfortunate. It is a step back this year from last year. And we had made great progress last year, which is unfortunate. OK, we are going to look at the Adult Hurling League in the county, but we're just uh, time has beaten us, unfortunately, this morning. Sean, thank you very much indeed for joining us in the studio this morning on this St. Patrick's weekend. Enjoy the rest of your weekend and all the hurling as well, no doubt. You'll be in Parnell Park supporting the boys in blue tomorrow. Tomorrow afternoon at a quarter to two. Dublin Mead this afternoon. That's the big one from a Gaelic Games point of view. We look forward to being in Park Talgen a little bit later on. Thanks for listening to Dublin Stock and Sport on Sunshine 106.8 from myself, Ken and Reggie. Have a good weekend. <laughs>